Before we begin, while the team leaves the platform, I'd ask if you join me in a word of prayer, please. Gracious God, we're in a series right now where we're talking about our identity and how our identity isn't in the things of this world or the opinions of others, but that our identity, when properly understood, is in You. Our identity is in Your Son, Jesus, and who we are to You. And so, God, I I pray that You would open our ears and You would open our hearts and our minds to hear that that continuing message that we're preaching. But I also realize, God, that there's obstacles that the enemy puts in our way. And, you know, things like woundedness and being offended and being hurt and angry. We're not willing to talk about changing ourselves when we're feeling like other people need to change more than we do. And, God, I just pray that You would remove any spirit of offense that we would have. You would remove any hurt or anger or woundedness or anything that we're holding on to that we think uh, is our right to hold on to. Whether it's something that someone has said or something that someone has done to us, God, just ask that Your Holy Spirit would wash over that and that You would just make that well, that You would heal those hurts and wounds and offenses. God, that we could hear what it is that You have for us this morning, that we could hear Your Word and Your heart for us, that that, uh, You would put us in a place where we would be open to what it is that You have for us today. And God, we just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I moved to Florida, one of the very first people that I met was a pastor down there. And uh, as I got to know him in our first conversations, what do you say? Well, where do you come from? Nobody's from Florida, it seems. Where did you move? Move here from? And I said, Minnesota. And he said, I understand. And I said, where'd you move here from? And he said, I grew up as a missionary kid in Japan. My mom and dad have been lifelong missionaries. I said, that's got to be amazing. He said, actually, it's really discouraging. What do you mean it's really discouraging? He said, well, people in Japan just... They, they don't become Christians very often. They don't believe in Jesus. Well, how come is that? That was odd to me. He said, well, in Japan, what they ask you is, what, what is it that your Savior, what is your religion does for me? What does your religion do for me? And so his parents would tell them, as missionaries have for hundreds of years, well, he died for your sins, that your sins could be forgiven, that you could be new life, that, that you could have a change of heart, and that you could spend eternity with him in heaven. And the people of Japan, by and large, look at the missionaries and say, not interested, don't need that. Not that bad a person. Don't really need to change. And I'm not concerned about what He has for me after I die. I'm concerned about what He has for me now. And so rather than be willing to change, they just keep on doing what they're doing. The result is the Christian church in Japan is about 2% of the population or a little less. What does your religion do for me? They decided not enough. So they don't believe. We're going to talk about change today because change is difficult. Change is never easy having to realize that we need to change is especially difficult. Before we get there, though, a brief example. Jeff last week talked about that pernicious mud clay in western North Dakota. Well, he didn't quite give it due justice because I've been there as well and I have been well experienced with that infamous mud, the kind of mud that sticks to the soles of your boots, the kind of mud that clings to the bottom of your pants and gets in your hands and, well, theoretically your hair and everything else that you've got. You get back to camp and it gets to your tent and it gets in your sleeping bag. It gets in your food. That mud is everywhere. Jeff, am I lying? I'm not lying. If you've never been there, don't bother. Take our word for it. 
After three days of this on one trip, fossil hunting and rock hunting, it was good. The time of year was good because it had rained and it, it, it revealed a lot of things that hadn't been open to the eye a week and two before. But by this point, it was a muddy, nasty mess and I was ready for a change. I wanted a shower and I wanted clean clothes and I wanted to be somewhere other than my muddy sleeping bag. But here's the thing. I actually liked it. I wanted to be there. I, I didn't want to leave. But I was so sick of that mud. It just it literally is everywhere in everything all the time. Unfortunately, I even know what this stuff tastes like. Not because I wanted to. I realized the change I really wanted was for the sake of appearance and comfort. I didn't really want to change. I wanted to be there. It's just that the mud made everything a little bit more miserable than it had to be. I wanted to clean up the mud so that I could be more comfortable. And, and I realized that's often the way it is with us as people. We don't want real change. As miserable as our life might be, we've kind of found a way to be comfortable in it, haven't we? We don't want real change. What we want is the appearance of change so that people believe that we've changed. But we want to hang on and keep being who we are. And now, if, if we wanted real change, I dare say that health clubs in October would be as full of people as had bought memberships in January. Am I right? But they're not. We make the promise to ourselves, the resolution, this is the year that I'm going to change. And by the time we get to October, it's still the same old us that hasn't done a thing about it. I speak from experience. But what we want in the church is we want to cling to Jesus the way that mud clings to boots and clothing and all that other stuff. So today we're going to talk about change, real change. Change in understanding our identity and change in who we are as people. Not the kind that we make a decision to try on the outside to make things look different to impress other people. We're going to talk about the kind of change that only happens on the inside that, that really doesn't even have as much to do with us as it has to do with power of Jesus at work in our lives and the presence of the Holy Spirit at work in us. So how do we know that stuff is happening? How do you know that kind of change? Maybe you say, that's what I need. I'm working for it. That's what I want to be a part of. That's what I want God to do to me. How do you know if it's working? How do you know if there's real change happening? Simple. The Bible tells us it's called the fruit of the Spirit. People will know. The people around you will know because they'll see consistent, lasting change in your attitudes, in your actions, in your words, in how you live your life and how you treat other people. They're going to know about this change, the fruit of the Spirit in us, and how we love. And it won't be momentary change. It won't be false change. It'll be real change. It'll be godly-driven change. It will be heart change. And the Bible says when that happens, that people will know by the fruit of the Spirit. See, when Jesus changes us, it isn't the attempt at change. Jesus doesn't try to do anything. When we give ourselves fully to Him, He begins real change in us. It starts on the inside and works its way out. He doesn't bother with things like appearance, our weight, our hair color. Nah, see, when God gets down to changing us, He gets down to the nitty-gritty of our lives. You open yourself up to God and say, I'm ready for change. God is going to go right after your favorite sins. 
He's going to jump in and He's going to get after your prejudice and your pride. He's going to get after the way that you lie to yourself and end up lying to others. He's going to open up our egos and our arrogance and our selfishness. He's going to get into all that. And that's the point that most of us go, too much. And we stop changing just like we stop going to the gym because it's uncomfortable. See, God gets all the way into how we think and how we feel and how we see the world around us. God gets to how we see the people around us. See, what Jesus does is He just cuts straight to our sinful desires. Our disobedience, the, the rebellion that we stage against the will of God for our lives, that's what sin is. Jesus gets straight to whatever it is that separates us from the will of God for our lives. Whatever that is. And you know what yours is. I was talking with Barb between services and she said something that just, wow, cut me to the heart, which Barb has said to me more often than not. And she said, Barb, where are you, Barb? You're here. What did you say? What was your comment? You heard once that. In order to be changed, we have to make a decision every day because every day we do something that keeps us from growing closer to God. We have a habit, right? That keeps us from growing closer to God. But every day there's also something we're not doing that prevents us from growing closer to God. Did I get it right? What is your thing? What is the thing that you need to turn over to God that keeps you from getting close to Him? And what are the things that you're not doing that would help you to get closer to Him? See, every one of us has it. She's absolutely right. So what's your thing? What do you need, not what do you want? What do you need, Jesus, to change in you? What is the thing that you need to give up every single day that's keeping you from being who Jesus wants you to be in Him? And what is the thing you need to begin that is preventing you from being who it is that Jesus can help you be? What's your thing? What do you need, Jesus, to change? Maybe for you it's an addiction. Alcohol, drugs, food. Maybe it's an addiction to popularity or being liked or being loved or being noticed or being needed. Addiction comes in a lot of different ways and shapes and forms. Maybe it's the power that sin has over you. Name it. Everyone has their own personals. Maybe for you it's a feeling of hopelessness, a feeling of desperation, a feeling of loneliness. Maybe for you it's something that you feel that you have the right to have. Maybe for you it's disappointment. Maybe it's heartbreak. Maybe it's that you feel God has let you down and you're not going to let Him in. What's your thing? See, whatever your thing is, you can be changed by the love of Jesus. When the love of Jesus changes you, you can be changed completely and forever. And often that change begins when we recognize and admit whatever that thing is, whatever that habit is, whatever that sin is, And the word that the Bible uses over and over and over is to repent. Repentance is to turn and to walk away from. We know that we're supposed to repent and allow God access to our hearts and our minds and to remove our desires for sin. But you know, we don't necessarily want to go through that change. Repentance is when the Holy Spirit gets access to our private stash of sins and we work with Him to change beginning with our hearts. Repentance is to recognize and then to turn and to walk away from whatever that thing is that's keeping you from being close to Jesus.
See, when God works change, He does it His way, on His terms, in order to achieve the results that glorify Him, not you. We decide the kind of change we want. That's why we make New Year's resolutions. That's why we buy gym memberships that we don't use. That's why we go on diets that we know we're going to fail on. That's why we do all those things. That's the changes that we want. But when God begins to work in you, He begins to work changes that He knows that we need. Sometimes that change comes in most unusual and unexpected ways. Last week, Fred and I were at a conference in California, and we saw a video of a man that lived in Ethiopia. All of his family lived in Ethiopia. And just from his broken English testimony on film, you could tell this man was on fire for Jesus. And he told about his story of how it is that he came to faith. He said that I grew up with a father who was illiterate, couldn't read. He wasn't a bad man, but he wasn't a good man. He didn't know Jesus because no one in his family knew Jesus. It wasn't that he was necessarily doing things wrong. It's just that he wasn't living in any way for anyone but himself. And one day this guy decides that God's doing something in his heart. And he turns and he says, you know, God, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to know if you're real. I'm ready for a change. This man's father calls out and he said, if you're really out there, I'm ready to know. So he's walking, he says, out in the middle of nowhere on this trail. And there in front of him on one of the rocks in the middle of the trail is a book. And he goes over and he picks it up and he recognizes the book is a Bible. And he says, okay, great, God, I know that you're in here and you know that I can't read. So somehow or another, he understands that God tells him, go sit underneath that tree. And so he goes and sits underneath that tree in the shade. And what God does next is said, just open the book. So the guy who has been illiterate his whole life opens the book and he begins to read and understand. And he turns the page and what used to be symbols and pictures and things he didn't begin to comprehend made complete sense to him. And he ran home with this Bible and he told his family, I can read. So he went and he got another book and he opened it up to show off. And it was pictures and symbols and he had no idea what they said. And he said, seriously, I could read. So the next day, he decides he's going to try it again. But this day, he, he opens up the book that he had better luck with last time. He turns open the Bible, and he begins to read and understand and explain to his family what the Bible says. And this guy says, you know, what was amazing is that he ended up coming to faith, and our whole family ended up coming to faith, and everybody around us began to come to faith because the biggest miracle that we all saw was that my dad, who was illiterate, could read. But he said the funny thing was, for the next 37 years, this man read and taught everybody around in the Bible and he couldn't read a single word in another book. He remained illiterate for 37 years. But he could read the Bible and every word in it and he understood it and he explained it. Because he said, God, I'm ready to know if you're real. I'm ready for a change. I'm ready to live my life differently. So God became real to him and began to change his heart and as a result, his entire family and the people around him, and they all put their faith in Jesus. And he was changed in a miraculous and a permanent way, but not in the way that he asked for, not in the way that he expected. He would like to have been able to read for the rest of his life. What God did was allowed him to read the one book that really mattered. See, God does what He will and how He will for His purposes, not for yours, not for mine. 
So how is it if we say, okay, I'm ready to be changed, how is it that we know whether or not we've actually been changed, whether or not God is bringing us through the process of being changed? Well, there's the fruit of the Spirit. People around you are going to be able to tell. But I think there's some other things that make it pretty clear. Number one, of, number one is you no longer live to seek your own happiness or the desires of your flesh or the things that you want, but instead you live to bring glory to God in everything that you do. You're no longer living to make yourself happy. You're living for God and for the people around you. You realize you're no longer number one. That's a huge change for all of us. First John 2 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's why we began this series teaching on who God says you are. Is your identity wrapped up in who you know Jesus to be? Or is your identity wrapped up in who you want to be? If you're not sure, ask the people around you if they dare to be honest. They know. They'll tell you. They'll let you know what they see. But just be prepared for their answer. If you ask them, do I live for you? Do I live for other people more? Do I live for me? Be careful. You ask them, do I live my life as a testament to the love of Jesus in me or do I live my life for me? Ask them, but be careful. That's the first thing that we know when we begin to be changed that we no longer live lives that have us as number one. If you're not seeking to make your identity one with Jesus, then all you're doing is making your identity and your life all about you. You're concerned with bringing glory to your name. You're not worried about a testimony. You're worried about your resume, your reputation, not the name of Jesus. That's not real change. Second thing that happens when Jesus begins to work a change in us, you have no more fear of the future. So you know the future's in God's hands. And you know where you're going. Romans 8.13 says this, If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You realize when you come to a personal relationship with Jesus, everything begins to change and the things that you thought you wanted suddenly become much, much less important. You replace worry with prayer and confidence in the power of God. And there's no need for the things of the world because you realize this world is not your home. These things and, and all of this stuff that we work for, that, that we spend our whole lives trying to accomplish, they're all going to pass away. See, one of two things is going to happen to you. Either you're going to have an eternity in the presence of your Creator in heaven, or you're going to have an eternity that is forever absence of all hope and forever outside the presence of your Creator. It's your choice. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. When you're right with Jesus, you have His Spirit of power. You have His Spirit of love. You have His Spirit of self-control. And it allows you to do all things in Him. You don't have a spirit of fear. Not of today, not of tomorrow, not of the future. If you know anything about me at all, you know that I have a deathly fear of heights. In all honesty, standing up here and looking down is too high for me. If you've got a project on your roof, I'm not your guy. I'll hold the ladder from the ground, thank you. 
talked to you a while ago about going up in that small airplane, went to 2,500 feet, and I realized I could fall and get hurt really bad. I have a deathly fear of heights. Well, we're in the Holy Land, and we find out that the next day we're going to Masada, which is like eight miles. Not actually. It's like 2,000 feet up above the Dead Sea. That's tall. That's high as far as I'm concerned. And I'm explaining it to this one lady. I said, I really want to go there. I've wanted to see it my whole life, but I'm scared to death of heights. I've looked at the pictures. I know how you get there. You take a gondola. You take a tram. And it's like this tram that fits 85 people goes all the way to the top of the mountain on dental floss. And she goes, but Steve, you don't have a spirit of fear. You've got the spirit of Jesus in you. Yeah, but I'm scared of heights. But you don't have the spirit of fear. I'm going to pray for you. All right, if it makes you feel better, Gloria, pray away. And she prayed. And you know what? I realized we took off of that gondola getting way over the edge here. See this? This is part of the illustration. We took off of that gondola and began to go, and the ground just kept going further and further and further. And I stood at the edge because the view was beautiful. We got all the way to the top, and I realized in Israel, they actually expect you to be intelligent adults, and they don't put fences up where you could fall. So I walked all the way to the edge because I found out that my heart was beating, but I wasn't as scared as I used to be. And her words just kept resonating in my head. You don't have a spirit of fear. You know what? I don't have a spirit of fear. I'm not going to let that take away the experience of being here. Once in a lifetime opportunity. I'm going to enjoy it for all it's worth. You don't have a spirit of fear, people. You shouldn't have a spirit of fear about the future. Not your life, not your death, and not anything that might happen between now and then. You know the third thing that changes when Jesus begins to change you? The opinions and the attitudes of others no longer matter because you're living to please an audience of one, and that's Jesus, your Lord and Savior. Everybody's got an opinion. doesn't matter anymore. What does Jesus think? It's all about the compass that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Who or what is your compass? If this and the God and the man and the Spirit that this book talks about isn't your compass, you're off course. I believe that with all of my being. If that's not your compass, you're already caught up in a spirit of fear. You haven't been changed and you haven't met Jesus. Those are strong words, but if that's not your compass, if you're not more concerned about what Jesus thinks about you than what the people next to you think about you, you're already in trouble. If you live your life to please or to impress or do anything to gain the favor of other people, watch out. If you're trying to earn a good review, you have not yet settled into your identity in Christ. Our world has this thing called social media. Man, so many of us are worried about how many likes we get on Facebook or Instagram, how many views we rack up on social media. i got news for you. That isn't the real world. And number two, God doesn't care. All that does is add a wrong identity. It adds to desperation and to separation from God because we're so focused on doing things that please or impress other people and we're not spending our time thinking about what it is that pleases or impresses God. What impresses God is a heart that loves Him. A man and a woman that serves others. Human insecurity and unhappiness and the absence of joy all come from trying to please other people rather than living for God. Why is that? Because people's attitudes and opinions and even the things that they want change like the wind. If you're going to set your life to try to please another person, you are always going to be changing. 
You may do something that absolutely pleases them without question today, and tomorrow they may expect something completely different from you. God's Word, God's opinion of you, never changes. He made it clear in His Word what He thinks of you. And the Bible says God doesn't change. God knows exactly what He thinks of you. He loves you just the way that you are. And He loves you too much to let you stay that way. If you're a note-taker, write that one down. God loves you just the way that you are. But He loves you too much to let you stay that way. God's view of you has nothing to do with your job has nothing to do with your income, your position, your status, your health. It doesn't even have to do with how good a Christian you think you are or someone else thinks you are. God's view of you is based on God's love for you. The worst of sinners who accepts Jesus as his Savior is viewed by God not as a sinner, but as a saint, as God's beloved child. Don't compare yourself to others because, folks, life isn't a contest. What God expects of you is to use the gifts and talents and abilities and the resources that He's given to you for His greatest glory. Not to get you further ahead. Not to get you more wealthy than the next guy. Not to get a bigger house or a nicer car. But for His greatest glory. I can't tell you how many people eight and a half years ago, nine years ago, told me not to start this church. They all had their reasons, and I listened to every single one of them. Some of their opinions I respected greatly. Then I continued to consult God and pray about it, and ultimately I ignored all of those people, and I listened to God's call in my life, and am I ever glad I did? Because most of what I heard was, you can't do it. It can't be done. It's too small a town. There's not enough people. You're not the right guy. Nobody wants it. Everybody's going to hate you. Loud voices. All of them wrong. See, when the love of Jesus begins to change us, one of the things that we want to do is to live in a way that brings glory to God. Not in a way that brings praise or admiration or accolades to us. We live for Him, not for ourselves. That's a big change. Fourth thing is, we don't worry about when difficulties come because we know for certain that God will use them for His good, even if we don't like it. Romans 8 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we might also be glorified with Him. Suffering will come. How are you going to handle it? You want to be a co-heir with Christ? Like Jeff said last week, you want to be in Christ. The things that happen to Jesus are going to happen to you. Maybe not to the same degree. I hope not for your sake. But you know what? You're going to suffer. People are going to make fun of you for what you believe. They're going to give you a hard time for coming to church. They're going to say this, that, or the other about you wasting your time or believing a bunch of baloney. But you know what? They're wrong. If you're not willing to suffer for Jesus, you're not really having an identity in Jesus. See, if we're in Christ like Jeff talked about, we're going to share in His suffering and the challenges and the persecution that Jesus faced. When I look back on the end of Jesus' life, I can hardly bear to think about what He endured. But He did. And, and, and the reason He did was because He wasn't living for Himself. He was living for God and He was living for you. He knew that His difficulties, you would be changed and God would be glorified. He went through what He did so that we could sit here today with the hope of the resurrection as our hope. God uses all things for His good, even the things that you wish weren't happening to you right now. 
God uses the things that you don't like. God uses the people that you don't like. God uses the circumstances you don't want to go through. God uses everything that you face if you'll give it to Him. He uses it for His glory. And sometimes, I know how this works, sometimes we pray and pray and pray for God to change something in our lives. Some circumstance, some situation, some person. We pray and we pray and we pray and it seems like all that we get is God's deaf ear. Am I right? What's the point, God? You're not even hearing me. Well, i got news for you. That happens a lot in Scripture too. And you know what God is doing? When we look back on when it happens in the Bible, what we see is that we pray like crazy for God to change something. And what God is doing is trying to change you. Because if the thing changes, you don't. If God takes it away, then we don't lean on Him anymore. The Bible says to give thanks in all circumstances, so we give thanks because you are not who you used to be and you are not yet who you will become. I read one time that while we're praying like crazy that God removes the Goliath, the seemingly impossible thing from our life, whatever it is, maybe you've been dealing with it since the day you were born, we pray that God will remove the Goliath from our life and what God is doing is raising up the courage and the faith of David in you. There's nothing about David that could beat Goliath outside of God. Maybe that thing that you're dealing with, that circumstance you want God to take away, maybe what you need to do is change your thinking and realize God is trying to change you and God is trying to raise up in you courage and faith and strength that you will never have on your own, the strength of David. If you're struggling with this, if you're not able to give up your wants, if you're fighting with somebody, maybe you're fighting with God because things aren't going away. Maybe because they're not going the way you want. Maybe it's because you haven't given yourself fully to Jesus. There's a reason we say surrender our lives. We give them up. Maybe you haven't fully surrendered your life to Him. Maybe you've talked the talk, talk and you've used all the words, but you know deep down you're still holding on to that thing. You're still holding on to you as your best shot. When what you need to do is give it all up to Jesus. The Bible says that as Christians, we're crucified with Christ. doesn't mean that we literally physically die the way He did. What it means is that as Christians, as believers, our wants, our will, our desires die so that our identity might fully live in Him, with Him, and for Him. It's no longer me, but it's Christ in me. For real change to happen... Maybe I need to let go of the things that I think I want. Maybe you need to let go of the things that you think you want. Second Corinthians 5 says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. That's Jesus. One has died for all, therefore all who have died. All have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Where is our hope? Jesus didn't die in vain. Jesus died for us. And the fact that He was raised from the grave, we too might be raised from the grave. So who are you living for, Jesus or you? See, Jesus died so that you could live for Him. Jesus didn't die so that you could have a happier version of your life. In living for God, we're living for love because God is love. God doesn't try to love you. God is love. God does love you. 
Now a word of caution is necessary here because sometimes well-intentioned church people end up taking a, a pretty sharp left turn at this point. When the love of Jesus changes you, when He becomes real and the Holy Spirit begins to go, at work, work, go to work in your life and you are beginning to be a different person, people will notice. The fruit of the Spirit will become evident. Here's the warning. You are not better than the people around you. You are not better because Jesus loves you more. You're not better because you're more pious or faithful or dutiful. What Jesus is doing is making you righteous because of Him. You're still a sinner. You're caught in the trap of the power of sin in this world. But when you put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God justifies you through your faith in Jesus. It doesn't make you better. It makes you justified. Not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is in you. Remember, Jesus changes us from the inside out for His purposes, in His time, for His glory. Not for our own. Jesus changes us so that we can be more like Him. See, Jesus declared for all the world just exactly how He feels about you, just how much He knows you're worth to be. Jesus made that statement abundantly clear and what He's waiting for is you to respond. He's waiting to see what you do. What's your answer? How do you feel about it? Best example I could come up with, we had the cutest little kid in the first service. You know, when you, when you play games with, with children, right, you want them to get a point, and you're, you're trying to explain how, how awesome they are, how much you love them. You know, one of the things, how big are you? You're so big. Little guy in the back's going, so big. He knew the game. It was awesome. We tell the little kid, we get right down, and because kids are cute, they're adorable, right? When they respond, oh, man, come on, just melt your heart. How big are you? So big. Right? And, and we've got, we're engaging, and, and, and this kid, we're connecting, and, and it's so much fun. How big are you? So big. Jesus made this statement once and for all in front of all the world. But we don't hear it. Like a kid, we, just, we completely let it slide. It isn't about you. It's about Jesus in you. And so Jesus makes this statement, how much does He love you? This much, He said. As He breathed His last breath. He loves you that much. What are you going to do about it? You're going to keep living for you and for all the things that you think you want in this life that at the end are not only not going to come with you but are going to amount to absolutely nothing. Jesus loved you so much that He was willing to take on your sin, your selfishness, this belief that we all hold on to that we still have a right to ourselves, which as a Christian we do not. Also, that we could be changed, so that we could become a new creation, so that we could become the person that God created us to be. So it is in Jesus, it is in His love, it is in the power of God's Holy Spirit alone that you have any hope of any real change. You can change your haircut, you can change your weight, you can change the color of your hair if you're so blessed to still have hair. Come on, that was funny. We can change how we appear to people, but we can't change in a way that really matters on our own. The only way that that happens is in the power of Jesus' love for us. And how much does Jesus love you? Jesus loves you that much. That He died for everything that you hold on to that keeps you from Him. Jesus loves you so much, there's nothing that He wasn't willing to do, including give you 
give his life for you. Aren't you glad that he loves you that much? Aren't you glad Jesus loves you so much that he loves you just the way that you are so much that he doesn't want to let you stay that way? So what do we do? We cling to Jesus the way that mud in western North Dakota clings to your boots and jeans and clothes and sleeping bags and tents. We cling to Jesus and we don't let go because that is the only compass you'll ever be able to trust. It's the only compass that's ever going to take you home. It's the only compass that's ever going to carry you through this life. So what do you do? You give your heart to Him and you let go of yourself. You surrender all that you think you are and you die to self and you live in Him. It's as simple as that. Let's pray. Gracious God, the idea of dying to ourselves is not something that comes naturally to us. We are told to look out for number one and we believe that's us. We're told to go out and take what we want and get what we can. Be all that we can be. And yet, God, we will never understand who we really are if that's our attitude. If we hold on to ourselves as number one, we will never understand the joy of living with You as number one. God, not not everybody wants to change. Not everybody is, is going to be excited about these words this morning. But to all of us who are, God, I would pray that Your Holy Spirit would take root in us that You would show us, because it's different for every one of us, what we need to get rid of, what we need to give up, the habits we need to let go of to make room for You, the sins that we need to repent of. God, only do when we do that, when we stop looking at what we want for our lives and what it is that You are doing in us, do we have any hope of the love of Jesus changing us. God, that's what we want because we want to be in Him. We want to be like Him. We want to look like Him, to see the world like Him, and to love like Him. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. All right, here's the deal. Change. Change is is not always fun. Change, in fact, is rarely fun. Some change is fun, but most change isn't. And the fact of the matter is, when I come up here and I talk to you about change, it means something different to every single one of you. Every one of you hears it and processes it and understands through the lens of your life what you're living with and struggling through and and dealing with and praying about and wanting God to take away and and wondering where it's all going to go. Change is different for all of us. But here's the thing. You don't have to change. You can keep living your life just the way you have been. You can be the exact same person that walks out of here as walked in here this morning. Or you can say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm ready for change. Do with me as you will. See, the thing is, I don't understand why you wouldn't ask that question because my question for you is this. Why would you want to spend the rest of your life never having, never having the opportunity of meeting the person God created you to be? If you're not willing to allow Jesus to change you, you'll spend the rest of your life. You'll never meet the you that you were created to be. You never will. But the choice is yours. 